Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Uh, welcome to your winter solstice. The shortest day of the year is here. Every day will get longer, if you guys did not know that, uh, starting tomorrow. Good news on that front. Um, let's talk Oregon football. We've got a lot of stuff that's happened the last couple of days. Coaching rumors, we'll get to that. Uh, we've confirmed a couple of them. Um, we've also got a depth chart that's been released and there's a lot of new information there but first let's start with just kind of the health and more so the opt-outs of this football team um eric i think uh brendan mcclendon or brian mcclendon oregon's interim head coach said that um there will no there, there won't be any more at least ones that they're expecting um devin williams and dj and uh, mikhail wright were the only two to opt out and not play in this game We've seen some transfers as well, which is, I guess, a different way of saying they're not playing in the bowl game. Um, DJ James and Jason Jones. Um, but that feels like it's it. There, there doesn't feel like any more obvious ones that could be opting out. Yeah, and I'll say the ones that feel obvious, we've either spoken with them at media availability. Like Pharrell McKinley and Travis Dye have spoken with media in the last yeah. week, and neither of them indicated that this was a possibility. Same thing with TJ Bass is another name I think people have mm-hmm. maybe the NFL. We saw Brandon Dorless leaving practice um, a couple of times. I think that's notable that he's around the program. Same thing with Mace Funa. So I'm kind of running through the names that make any sense to even enter the draft. And I'm having a hard time really coming up with any additional ones than the yeah. ones I just mentioned. And we've either seen them or spoken with them in the last week. So I feel pretty confident in saying, barring something surprising, we're kind of reached the end of the opt-out thing. And, and, I think it was McClendon who said this opt-out stuff is, I mean, it's, it's another one of those new trends. Um, yeah. he, was, he was the interim head coach for Georgia, the tax layer bowl. He was talking about, they had first round guys who, who played in the tax layer bowl and Oregon's now playing an Alamo bowl and ha- and seeing guys who I don't know. First round draft picks. I was going to say, I don't right. know being drafted on the first or even maybe the second day opting out. Um, so just par for the course, the transfer stuff. Also strange that this is – I mean, there, there's just so much more roster turnover right now than there's ever been in college football. Um, you just kind of have to live with it. If you're not playing in one of the big bowls, you're probably going to see a couple of guys look to transfer before the game. A couple of guys decide they want to go pro and not play in the game. It's just the way it goes. So I know it's disappointing. Oregon won't be at full strength. To be fair, Oklahoma, nowhere near close to full strength. They've Four top defensive starters opt out and, and about half a dozen guys transfer. So, I mean, both schools are in the same spot. Oklahoma's probably in a worse spot than Oregon, honestly. I would agree with Oklahoma being in a worse spot. They, I mean, like half of their offense just has decided to either end of the transfer or head to the draft. Um, most of their defense has decided to opt into the draft. They're top defensive guys. Um, yeah. But, yeah, this four, is just – Four starters in the front seven. Yeah, which is not great. Not um, good. I think – James Crepia asked if they have any film on on defenses for Oklahoma where those guys all at the same time aren't playing. And I think McClendon just kind of laughed and said no. So, yeah, that's <laughs> nope. not, a, not a typical unit for Oklahoma. 
Um, yeah, this is kind of just the trend of college football, like Coach McClendon talked about, um, just guys opting out. Um, and I, I totally understand as to why they do it. Um, you don't want to get injured in that final game of the year and then have to see your draft stock fall. Um, that's probably only happened once or twice that where someone has actually gotten like super injured in the final game of the year. Um, but still, I mean, that costs, that costs kids and ultimately like their families could cost some hundreds of thousands, of millions of dollars. Um, totally understand why you wouldn't do it. Uh, it's unfortunate. And obviously, uh, we didn't mention, but yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau is not going to be playing in this game for that exact reason. Um, feel like we should mention them, even though everybody knows that this is going to happen. Um, I'm just, I'm always kind of curious as to what is the parameters outside of a college football playoff matchup where a player would opt out because the Alamo bowl, although it's not the Rose bowl or anything, it's a pretty significant bowl game. It's usually a ranked team versus a ranked team, a good team versus a good team. Um, yeah, people just opting out left and right. So I'm not sure what, what like the final bowl is like, do I have to play on new year's? Do I have to play on new year's Eve? Like are those the only bowl games that I would actually continue to play in, but doesn't matter. Oregon didn't have anybody opt out in the 19 Rose Bowl, correct? So, I mean, that sort of seems yeah. just based on recent fact, maybe the be the maybe that's the barometer is like near six. Maybe. I think this is just the beginning of the end for air quotes the bowl season. Um, as the playoff looks to expand, which I think we all know it will, um, some of these bowls are gonna be relegated to even less stature, and they already are struggling right now. Um, I, I just think this is the first of many steps um, that are going to lead to eventually a lot of these bowl games just folding shop and not being played. Um, a, because of interest. B, because players aren't going to want to play in it. And, you know, guys that have NFL possibilities, you know, we're seeing it happen. Um, and I don't, I don't doubt, I, I don't have any ill will or, or disappointment um or anger at any of these guys for for not playing because it's you know it's their bodies and they've put a lot on the line in their time at Oregon and they want to get paid now and why am I going to tell someone not to get paid or to protect themselves to get paid uh, for a sport that they play but that leads us now to a lot of changes um on the depth chart and I think guys Jared noticed it first uh so we'll kick it to him it's kind of a true depth chart. It, it's not the uh, 35 guys are starting in 22 spots. Um, it's not kind of a true depth chart. It is a true depth chart, comparatively, <laughs> considering what we have gone through uh, this last season with, with Mario Cristobal, who's you know getting the depth chart out to us. Um, Jared, are we sure well, Mario understands what a depth chart is? I'm not sure Mario ever understood the concept of a depth I chart. I mean, I think he totally <laughs> understood. He was just trying to play mind games with everybody, which – didn't really seem to work because injuries would be mentioned in a press conference, like how Ryan walk was a, the, the right guard starting at right guard for the last five weeks of the season, even though he had a season ending injury. Um, this depth chart is strictly ones and twos. I think the only position where there's three options listed is quarterback. Um, if a player is injured, they are not listed on the depth chart. So that's basically how that's going. Or if they transferred or if they declared for the draft and are not playing in the game. Like Big Sala is still on the depth chart. He's actually starting at right tackle where he's been playing for the last half of the season. Um, and that's another thing is uh, the offensive line 
is full of guys playing their actual positions, which they are going to be playing in the game instead of just being listed. Like TJ Bass for the, the entire year was listed at left guard, which is where he started, sure. But he's been playing the last half of the year as a left tackle, and he's officially now listed as a left tackle on the depth chart, which is great. Um, but, yeah, some significant changes uh, in the secondary. Obviously, you have you know, Michael Ryder, no DJ James. So, Drekwitz Bridges and Dante Manning are your starting cornerbacks with Avante Dickerson and Jalen Davies as their second string. Um, the defensive line looks different different as well with Jason Jones and Kayvon Thibodeau being gone. Um, I thought a good, uh, an interesting one to see was that Will Linebacker, Jeffrey Bassa, or Jackson LeDuc were listed as the starters. Um, I'd like to see that. I thought Jackson LeDuc has played well in the, the final three games of the year. Um, wide receivers, uh, Troy Franklin, Isaiah Crocker, the X wide receiver, excuse me, the Z wide receiver, Chris Hudson, Seven McGee. Z wide receiver, and then the H wide receiver looks like, or sorry, H is Chris Hudson and Seven McGee, and X is Dante Thornton, and I can't see Isaiah Bravard, who's uh, who's coming out. He has to step up because of Devin Williams and Michael Pittman and Johnny Johnson, Jalen Rednock being able to play in this game, um, and then the two running backs are just just Travis Dye and Byron Cardwell, so uh, it's an interesting depth chart for sure. Um, We'll see if there's any other significant changes as the game goes on, but it's it's basically what Oregon played against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game with the previous guys mentioned, you know, not playing and entering the, the NFL draft or the portal. Um, but the chart itself is just fun because it's just two guys at every position. That's it. We don't have to worry about the walk-ons or uh, freshmen who aren't going to see the field but are listed as the third stringers. The thing that stands out to me looking at it is not the starters as much as it's the depth. Um, and I just think you notice, like, okay, where does Oregon need to address positionally in the portal? Well, defensive line. Your second group is Masi Elafisi, Keanu mm-hmm. Williams, and Suavi Pody. I, I think those guys, how many snaps have those guys played, not even together, but all just year? individually, how many have they played? It's not many at all. Is it under 100? It's got to be. Pretty cl- I mean, be. I don't think Macy's. Facey might not have played all season. He was just rounding back into form. And Pody and Williams were both guys who played less than four games, I think. Um, so it's not a big number. Depth there is really a concern. Um, you do the same exercise at receiver. And I think uh, Jared just ran through all of it. But Crocker, McGee, and Brevard being your three, those guys weren't – I mean, seven was playing running back. And the other two weren't even rotational guys up until – I mean, Crocker broke into the rotation, um, uh, you know, the last couple of games of the season. I did a story on DuckTerritory.com on that, his journey for being a pretty highly rated recruit to not playing four years to now being called upon. Um, cool story, but still a guy who really, really not proven aside from one game against Utah at the end of the year and some snaps against Oregon State before it. Um, and then Bravard's a guy who only played, I think, the fourth quarter against Stony Brook, and he's now on the two deeps. So, um and there's a, I mean, you look the same kind of exercise at cornerback with Avante Dickerson and Jalen Davies there. Uh, Dickerson played 11 games, but almost exclusively on special teams. And I think Davies, for my money, I think he only played one game all season, and that was early. He was dealing with some injuries. But still, like collectively, the guys that you have in the two deep on the two line in a couple of these spots are guys who basically never played or haven't played much at all. And so, I, you know, I think it's a one game. It's a bowl game. You do have extra time to get these guys ready. I'm, I'm not like going to be super knee jerk and say, Oh, this is the end of the world. But I think you look at this and if you're, and, and maybe, maybe we'll be surprised and these guys will come out and be studs. But I think if you look at this, you go, 
pretty clear what areas we need to to add on and to develop because I don't want to say those guys have no ceiling and won't be great players. Maybe they will be, but you just look at the names there and go, man, there's like almost no experience there. And I think you'd love to see mm-hmm. some guys added in the off season at, at those, at those spots in particular. I'm curious to see, I'm maybe curious isn't the right word. I'm excited to see though, the production at receiver in this game. And it's pr- probably unfair to make too much of a one game sample size, but I know a lot of Duck fans are saying they want the youth movement at quarterback and they want they want the quarter they want the coaches who aren't going to be here in 2022 to start developing a quarterback that they're not going to coach and that's Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford over Anthony Brown. And I don't think that's going to happen unless the game gets out of whack here or something happens to Anthony Brown leading up to the game or or early on in this game. But what we will see is a youth movement at receiver and Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, Isaiah Bravard, Seven McGee, Terrence Ferguson, uh, Motaval. Uh, you you look at those guys, all of them freshmen, all of them. And Chris Hudson is a third year freshman um, as well. This is a, a unit where we're really going to get a glimpse into what twenty twenty two will look like at this position group and could tell us maybe maybe Thornton and Hudson and, and Franklin show up and they're just dominant. And you look at it and go, wow, maybe they don't need to go out and find uh, some kind of portal transfer at the receiver position um, because these three guys are it. And you've got a couple guys behind them who have, who have shown that they're, they're capable. Or maybe it's the opposite. And it's like, wow, they really need help. They, they need a, an older vet in the position group in this unit um, going into 2022. I think we're going to learn a lot about this position group. Yeah. I hope it's positive. <laughs> you want it to be positive now. And, and, and I mean, I think, I think even if those guys, even, even if it's an impressive showing, I think you do have to add somebody, you have to add at least two more players, three more players to this group, whether it be through the portal or, or prep guys is, is where I'm at just in general, just because the numbers are so shallow right now. Um, what do you, I mean, we talked about this on, by the way, we should mention we did do a spaces on on Monday, and I think we talked about this there. But what's the long term plan for Seven McGee now? It, 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 will he move back to running back? D- does he play so well in the slot at receiver that you just kind of have him stick there and, and and maybe run some special packages going forward? I don't know. Maybe that impacts some things in terms of the additions you want to make at receiver. Um, but it's pretty clear. Again, like I said earlier, just looking at the depth on the depth chart, like what positions need to be addressed. Um, the defensive line, Oregon, did a little bit of that in the 2022 class. They signed a couple of interior guys in Sir Mel's and uh, Ben Roberts, two guys that have good-sized bodies but maybe aren't expected to be, at least initially, immediate contributors. And then in the secondary, obviously, Jaleel Tucker is big. But you have to go find some more additions at all of those spots, in my opinion. And I will be closely watching all three of those just to see the production you get. Um, can Oklahoma run the ball effectively against the front, which is decimated? Can Oklahoma throw the ball against a defensive backfield, which is not like looking like what it used to look like? And can Oregon itself throw the ball with the receiving core, which is, I think I would argue down its four best receivers, or at least day one, the four guys we thought were going to lead the team. Like, I think if we did an exercise, and maybe we did, but like in fall camp, like who's going to finish the season one through four in terms of receiving stats? I think we would have all been like in some order, Devin Williams, Johnny Johnson, Jalen Redd, and Micah Pittman 
felt like the surest of bets. And maybe we would have had an argument for a Troy Franklin or a Chris Hudson, but we certainly wouldn't have said those were the most confident guys. And now those four guys are all gone. So you're looking at a totally different receiving group here um, in the bowl game. And that's exciting, right? Like Matt said, I think exciting is a fine word. I'm, I'm curious to see what they look like. I think it'll be an intriguing, you know, in terms of the development of a bunch of guys we just haven't seen much who are all highly regarded. I mean, that's one thing that stands out with that group is they might all be freshmen and sophomores on the depth chart. Every single one of them is a four-star recruit out of high school, you know, unless mm -hmm. I'm, I'm off on any of those. I don't think I am. Um, these are all big-time prospects that now are getting an opportunity, and this is what you ask for coming to a school like Oregon. You get an opportunity early on to kind of prove that, and as Matt said, they'll get that chance on the 29th. It'll be fun to watch. Um, but, yeah, Eric, I mean, all, all, the, all the points you just laid out are 100% correct. Like, this is a receiving group that is – basically decimated in terms of their top tier talent. Um, those are, I, I've enjoyed watching all of those freshmen play, including Chris Hudson, the second year guy. But again, you know, I think there's a reason why uh, a lot of the times like Anthony Brown struggled towards the end of the year when uh, Jalen or Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red went down. Um, you know, they, they still are, are true freshmen. Um, they're going against legitimate defense, defensive backs at Utah, at Oregon State, and now ultimately against Oklahoma. Um, they're going to struggle to get open. They're going to struggle to create separation. Um, they might struggle even just catching the ball. Um, Chris Hudson has, has really been exciting to watch down the stretch, um, especially against Utah and in both of the games, honestly. Um, he's been uh, basically playing his way into penciling himself, himself in as a starting wide receiver next year. Um, and, and like you said, it's important that they go and try to find somebody either through high school recruits or in the transfer portal to help solidify that position. Um, I don't think there's going to be a shortage of, of options out there for both, for both either the portal or recruits. Um, but I mean, for, for Oregon, especially against Oklahoma, um, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of turning into my assessment of the game. I'm way more concerned on the, on the defensive end because uh, Oklahoma, although their offense hasn't been, as great this year as it has been in years past. Um, a lot of turnover there in terms of Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler to Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams back to Spencer Rattler, um, some injuries on the offensive line. But still, that that Oklahoma offense knows how to cook. Um, when you have Caleb Williams, who's really damn good. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, like I don't know how many people who are listening have watched him. Um, I've basically watched him religiously whenever he's on my television. And man, yes, exactly. Man, is he good. Um, so I'm, I'm really worried about that. And then Oklahoma has a good rushing offense, too. They run a lot of screens, a lot of, uh, a lot of movement. And it's a young – if you look at the depth chart, it's a young defensive group. A lot of guys who either A or freshmen, a lot of guys who just haven't played that many snaps. Um, this is going to be a challenge. And, you know, I, it's tough. Um, I'm looking, obviously looking forward to the game and watching everybody play because they are so young. And this could be an opportunity similar to how uh, Thomas Graham performed on Monday Night Football, where it's his first start and then he's, he has a, a PFF rating of 90.7, has three pass breakups, and has a lot, a lot of good downhill tackles. You know, Maybe there is something like that that comes out of this game where you're like, ooh, okay. Jalen Davies, Avante Dickerson, whoever it is, they really showed themselves tonight, and that's going to be great moving forward. Um, so that's – from the depth chart perspective, that's what I look forward to the most. It's just going to be 
Uh, I'm you know not 100% confident that something like that happens against a team like Oklahoma. There are um, 23 position groups listed on this depth chart. Um, one of them has three players listed, so that gives us a total of 47 spots on this depth chart. Now, a couple spots are filled by the same player. But that being said, 31 of those 47 spots that Oregon lists on its depth chart are manned by freshmen or redshirt freshmen. So this is, Jerry, when you say this is a young defense, this is a young team. Um, We knew this already, but I think when you look across the depth chart and you see all the guys that are listed as freshmen in this game, um, it's... It's truly, in my eyes, the start of the 2022 season because a lot of these guys, should they return, which most of them should, you would think are going to be the key pieces for that 2022 team. And then it's going to be an early look, all bit different scheme, different coaches, but same players of what Oregon could look like in 2022. I think one spot we haven't talked about, but we should is, is just how the replacement of Kayvon Thibodeau works on that outside spot. Swinson listed as the starter there. Um, how does he fare? I think he's somebody we're all really high on, you know, yep. he's already had his moments, but he hasn't been asked to be that for a full, full game. Aside from the Ohio state game, which we should note, I think he was like pac 12 player of the week on defense or defensive lineman of the week. I forget which one it was. I think defensive lineman of the week because Barone might've been pac 12 defensive player, but. I digress. Now I'm using my memory from September, which isn't as good as I thought it would be. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I, but I'm excited to see him in a little bit. Like we, t- we talk about kind of projecting to 22. How does he perform there now being set? Basically, you know, I'm not saying he's the only one who's rushing the passer, but that's going to fall largely on him. Um, you know, how, how do those edge guys perform? You know, it's been a position group, which with Kayvon Thibodeau present, it's always felt like a huge strength to this defense, whether it be a 19 or 20 and or, or this year does it feel that way anymore i don't know if it will can Braden swinson kind of flip it and make you feel that way um can some of the other guys around him like a trip um a trevin my who will probably play more on rundowns than Braden would be my guess or a you know how, how does mace funa perform on the other side or jake shipley adrian jackson's name not listed on the two deep dj johnson's name not listed on the two deep found that to be kind of interesting neither of them were listed there but those are two guys who are also excellent pass rushers are expected to be. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see off the edge what that looks like. You know, I mean, we talk about this defense, the more you think about it, there's not a position group that hasn't been hit besides inside linebacker. And that was the position group that was already hit this year over and over again through injury. Um, so, I mean, if we were to, if we were to compare and contrast this to the opening day depth chart, I mean, this looks nothing like it, <laughs> nothing like it at all in terms of who you expect to be playing. There's probably what, maybe four guys who are going to start the bowl game who also started the opening game. Am I crazy on that? Five, maybe? I, I, Got a nice Jared, you, from Stanford. Okay, well, let's let's we'll compare and contrast it. How many guys on that depth chart are going to start this bowl game? Like, is it, what is it, four or five guys, maybe? It's not very many at all. Um, I would assume it's Verone, Dorless, and Sewell. Uh, and, on and defense? Then, on defense, and then Funa? You know, I mean, it's it's just not a large number of guys that you're still relying upon because the secondary has been totally, you know, re reworked. You've lost your two corners. Um, you've had injuries all over the place. And, and really what you're looking at now is so different from what you were looking at this season. And, and this is a slight digression. I just think it's an interesting exercise to look at just the progression this season from what five? Who's the fifth? Five kids. Bobo. 
Popo, forgot about him. Sorry, my fault on that one. Um, but still, five, half of the guys, basically less than half of the players starting the bowl game were starting when Oregon played Stanford. That tells you a lot about what they're having to go through right now. Let's uh, shift over to coaching rumors. And look, as we've let, – let's talk outside of Oregon for a second because as we've started this podcast, literally coaches are getting hired left and right from Oregon. And it's a good thing. It's a position – it's guys seeing their careers advance. Um, Bruce Feldman has reported a couple hires as – we've started recording this um, Jalen Ortiz, who was a GA at Oregon the last couple of seasons. He's going to Nevada under Ken Wilson, um, Kwaji, Kwame Ajeman, uh, a defensive analyst, a guy that's been a player at Oregon under Bilotti um, and Chip Kelly and has worked tirelessly to work up the ranks. He's following Ken Wilson. He will be their co-defensive coordinator as well as their safeties coach at Nevada um, and then we also have a report from Bruce Feldman that Nate Costa, Oregon's analyst, former Duck quarterback, um, he is also following Nevada to serve as their quarterback's coach. So these are the types of hires that you like to see um, within your program because it means not only are you having good position coaches, it means you've staffed good analysts, good recruiting guys, uh, good GAs that other programs want. And um, these are – I think like five or, you know, number four, five, and six of off-field coaches getting jobs somewhere else um, this off-season for Oregon. Um, so that tells you just the kind of staff that they have had the last couple of, of years. Um, we should note that there's also some news coming to Oregon. And some of this, uh, Eric was able to get confirmation on, on one of the hires. We continue to hear some of the others. But let's start, Eric, with the news that you broke uh, last night or were able to confirm and then push even further of confirmation that the deal is done with Oregon's new defensive line coach. Yeah, Tony Tuioti from Nebraska. And I think I'm pronouncing that that, that O right there at the end there because I thought it was Tuioti, but watching some watching some YouTube videos, Tuioti, I think is how you pronounce it. Just <laughs> Tuioti, to okay. help us out with our Polynesian names because we are probably we like – we're not. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's, that's just be direct. We're not good at it. Um, yeah, coming over from Nebraska, I think that, I, you know, you, you look at his career. One of the things we talked about Dan Landing was getting West Coast West Coast assistant coaches, and he certainly fits that bill. Um, most of his time coaching, you know, building up to this point before Nebraska on the West Coast, a couple of years at California, spent most of his career and his college playing days at the University of Hawaii. Um, I think that's notable. Oregon, under the last two staffs, really, it's basically back to Mark Helfrich, hasn't had a great connection on the islands. Um, and you think back to some of those Chip Kelly teams, obviously Mark Helfrich carried that for a couple of years, it usually had a large kind of island influence on the team. Obviously, most notably, the only Heisman Trophy winner here from Hawaii, Marcus Mariota. Um, I'm not saying that this hire makes it a guarantee you, you, you kind of tie back in there, but we should note his highest rated recruit at Nebraska, um, and I, I'm not sure if I'm going to remember his full name, Wyndon Pau, Pau, something like that. Anyway, from Hawaii. So, you know, he's got connections to that part of the world, that part of the country. Um, as somebody who grew up in Hawaii, played at the University of Hawaii as a defensive lineman. No, By the way, no ties to Dan Lanning from an assistant coaching perspective. It's not like they worked on the same staff, and that kind of breaks a bit of a trend. Um, mm -hmm. Because the first, obviously, the ones that have already been officially announced 
both uh, Kenny Dillingham and uh, Matthew Pallage have worked with him, know him pretty well. Um, I've spent time with him. Not the same case with Tuiati. So that's breaking a little bit of a trend here. Also not a guy under 40. I think he's 44, 45 years old. Um, so also breaking a little bit of that trend. He's a grandpa, right, Jared? He's too old. Yeah, too Come old. On. Come on, Dan. Uh, but no, this is really exciting. And you see what, what's happened at Nebraska is now maybe the recruiting stature isn't exactly what you'd like in terms of, I think he's been part of three four-star recruitments to the University of Nebraska, one to Cal. Um, but the development there, I think, has been notable. And they've been one of the stronger rush defenses in the Big Ten of late. And, and we should and Big Ten, by the way, that's a tough conference to defend the run because those offenses, not all of them, but primarily oh, yeah. they want to just – put it behind their big offensive lines and pound just so um, to be kind of even middle of the road, a little better than that in the big 10 is, is significant, especially with, like I said, recruiting, maybe not being um, quite at the high. And, and I think, again, we've talked about this before, just because you don't earn an ACE recruiter at a school like Nebraska, we can even compare this to like a Ken Wilson or a Joe Salavea. You come over to Oregon, you have a little bit more success. So I would anticipate that won't be a, a, a you know, a, a weakness for, to EOD in, in part because Dan Lanning, I don't think would, would hire a coach that would allow that. So um, notable also means Joe Salavea will not be retained. Um, yeah. and I think yep. That's sort of tough because he was the longest tenured coach remaining, um, was one of the original staff members on Der Willie Taggart at Oregon, um, has been the defensive line coach for what, four years now. Um, somebody who had been pretty integral or five years, pretty integral to the development here. So, um, tough to see that kind of an end of an era, but at the same time, you're bringing in another Polynesian coach, which I would imagine has connections sort of similar to what Joe will have or Joe had. Yeah, I just you know wanted to start there, frankly, with Coach Salabaya. It's, you know, it's going to be sad to see him go. Just such a happy-go-lucky guy, and um, I thought he was I, I thought he was really good at his job. Um, you saw the just the overall development from a lot of the defensive linemen over the course of their careers at Oregon, like Brandon Dorless and Braden Swinson people, and even Trevor May too. And um, so that's going to be sad, just sad to see him go. Um, I think he was the unanimous winner of uh, coaches. You wouldn't want to take a punch from in terms and in, in the media circle. So that's, that's his, that's his stature until, you know, we see how Tony looks. Um, but I think this is going to be a good a good hire for Oregon. Um, somewhat a lot of West Coast ties. You know, obviously, Cal and, and Hawaii, like Eric had already broken down and run through. Um, I guess time at Nebraska is really going to help. Um, it's a it's a big time program. Uh, a lot of expectations there. Um, and like Eric said, I I hadn't thought about this, but this is a great point of of, of just in terms of the rushing offenses that he sees in the Big Ten. Um, some, some tough ones out there, man. Much, much different kind of play style in the West Coast. So I think that'll really help. Um, uh, the Polynesian connection was had needed to be kept. Um, I think this serves as a as a good replacement, clearly, um, with his highest rated recruit coming from Hawaii and playing at Hawaii and um, coaching there as, as well. Um, he has NFL experience as well. Um, so this is, I, I like the hire in general. I have to do more uh, research, go more in depth with it, but um, so far, it seems like Dan Lanning has a plan, and uh, it's pretty good for that. He's sticking to it and trying to hire the best guys for the best positions available. We should note also about Tony is that in 2016, he spent one year at Michigan. He was not a position coach, but he was their director of player personnel, a recruiting position. He was 
a big name, a big player in the overall operation of Michigan's recruiting that season. Mm -hmm. And that year, the Michigan Wolverines finished fifth in the country in recruiting. They signed two five-star recruits. Uh, They had, I think, four more guys that were top 100 guys in the class. And, And then you go down the list and they had like nine more players that were top 250 recruits in the country. Um, and, and this isn't all because of Tony, but Tony was his job was to manage the day to day operations of Michigan's recruiting. And they finished fifth in the country and had a really good class. And a lot of those guys are on this team right now for Michigan um, that are playing for the college football playoff and the championship game. So, you know, I, I, I think that is an interesting note. Um, there's guys that are on this team from that that class. And he comes to Oregon with some, like you guys have said, good credentials on the defensive front from an on-field perspective and also from a recruiting perspective. Um, And we should know every – the last two spots he's coached at, at Cal and at Nebraska, um, the defenses instantly got better along the defensive lines when when he showed up. At at Cal, they had um, top ten nationally – in total defense, uh, the defensive tackles were pr- very productive in the, in multiple categories across the country. And then at Nebraska, um, they saw a big jump as well. He had he had two of his three starting defensive linemen earned all Big Ten accolades, um, and all three starters were in the NFL by the 2020 football season. So um, that gives you an idea of just what he can do when he gets to a school and what in, in his development. Um, other notes uh, that are out there, um, we reported on duckterritory.com uh, yesterday of some names at receiver. Um, Malcolm Kelly, he's a receivers coach from TCU. He is in play here. We also have um, Junior Adams from Washington. He's on the list. Um, that is another coach that we've heard at, at the receiver position. Um, and it doesn't sound like they're one or the other. It sounds like they could they could hire two guys um, to coach receivers and tight ends um, together, kind of morph that group into into one big position group and have just two guys work that position. Um, and now it gets to some spots where we haven't confirmed this, but there are plenty of rumors out there. Um, first and foremost, uh, Adam Rittenberg is reporting that Adrian Clem of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he is their offensive line coach, is a primary candidate for Oregon's O-line coach position. And this is another one where um, he's in the NFL right now, but a highly respected, very effective, and very good college coach from, from skill development as well as recruiting. I, just one thought on it's interesting. You know, you think about how you compose a staff. You, I think most people think you're just going to go through the positions and, and usually it's all the same. But you can compose an assistant staff kind of any way you want. And so separating mm-hmm. receivers and tight ends in a different way is kind of a unique thing. Like Matt's talking about is maybe outside receivers have one coach. Inside receivers and tight ends have another. Um, we haven't seen that at Oregon. Um, typically, you see a receivers coach, tight ends coach, not really cross-training those groups. Um, most notably, like I think about how under I think John Neal was just the old defensive backs coach when he was at Oregon, he coached all the defensive backs, and now you 
obviously see, and I think part of this was you added a, a, you know, a 10th assistant, you see a corners coach and a safeties coach. And that's kind of become commonplace. So it'll be interesting to see if that's the, the breakdown at Oregon, how some of that works out. Um, and maybe that sort of speaks to how Kenny Dillingham wants to use things offensively. Clem is an interesting name too. Um, you look at him, he's a guy who certainly showed some recruiting chops at UCLA. Um, a another guy who I think just everyone you, you hear from, it sounds like he's a guy who can really recruit. And that fits into what you're looking for if you're Oregon, obviously. That's a that's a huge selling point for what Dan Landing is trying to develop. Probably not gonna see it was probably going to be hard to find a replacement of a Mario Cristobal, Alex Mirabal combination on the offensive line, right? I'm not trying to say Clem is never going to be anywhere near that good, but you're talking about two of probably the 10, 15 best position coaches as an offensive line coach in the country. Come, you know, the combination of Cristobal and Mirabal. And that's why the yeah. offensive line at times was really, really great at Oregon. Doesn't mean it can't continue to be great under a different coach. And again, Clem is just attached as a rumor, you know, it's a, it's a, a name to know there. It's not finalized. I think you kind of have to understand you probably weren't going to go out and get the number one, number one guy in the country. You weren't going to be able to replicate what you had with Mirabal and Cristobal. And that's perfectly fine. Um, I think Clem's going to be, if he is the coach, a, a really nice addition. And then those two receivers coaches, both of those guys are, are known to be really good recruiters. Um, and you think about, and I mean, I, I actually remember, and this is aging me a little bit. I remember Malcolm Kelly, plenty well when he was playing at Oklahoma. Um, that I didn't think his career ended that long ago and I was looking up going, like, oh, I was still in high school when he finished his college career. <laughs> that is a long time, but much longer than I thought. Um, but like that's another names you hear often at other schools, right? And then it's kind of interesting to hear them attached to Oregon because you know none of those guys, at least from my knowledge, have a any ties to Oregon. And then not really I don't looking cross-referencing their resumes, Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong, also not really any connections to Dan Lanning? Clem doesn't. Yeah, no connections to Lanning. Yeah, Malcolm yeah. Kelly does not have any either. And I think, yeah, I was gonna say Kelly. I don't believe has any either. So, I mean, this is a little bit of a deviation off of the coaching tree being all kind of intertwined. Not to say, not to say that we expected every hire to be that way, but it looked like there was a trend early on that. And I'd even asked, like, his prior work experience. Does that, you know, he said, and he said yes. Having prior work experience with somebody obviously always is something you'd like to have in terms of just building a staff. But clearly he's very comfortable as he should be to kind of deviate from, you'd be, you know, you'd be putting yourself in a box if you said, I'm only hiring coaches who I've worked with before. And clearly, right, of course. Not, clearly that's not the entire modus operandi, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the, the Clem report is, is interesting to me. Um, Patriot legend, by the way, three-time Super Bowl champion. Um, currently the Steelers offensive line coach, which, I don't know if you guys watch watch the Steelers this year. It's not great. However, the talent that he has to deal with there is also not great. Um, another West Coast tie, California dude, um, coached at UCLA for a long time. Or, mm-hmm. Well, not not a long time. Five seasons. Uh, Southern Methodist beforehand. Um, just going through his his pages and doing some really really quick research. Um, Twenty eleven Pac twelve Recruiter of the Year according yep. to Twenty Four Seven Sports. So that's a nice little thing. Um, yeah, and Eric, like you said, it's going to be difficult to, to hire anybody who's of, of the caliber of the combination of uh, Cristobal and Mirabal. It's a fun thing to say. Um, 
because those guys are just so passionate about the game and so passionate about an offensive line. And when you have an offensive line, former offensive lineman as your head football coach, that usually means that that part of the game is going to be pretty good, which it has been under Mario. Um, but this is a this is a transition. Um, this is someone who has a lot of years under his belt in coaching offensive line in the Pac-12, Big 12, or I don't know what where SMU was at that time. Um, and then in the NFL, it's a huge thing. Um, I, I, if this is going to be a confirmed hire, um, I would like it. A uh, little bit older, 44 again. So, Dan, I don't know what we're doing here. You need to get that number down. Um, but, you know, always always happy to bring in a, bring in a Patriot legend. So, um, I, I do like the, the idea of, of Dan, who's, again, sticking to a plan where uh, West Coast ties are important, um, even if it's just for a few years. He's sticking with that plan, um, and and being a good recruiter is also another huge importance for him. Um, and Clem seems to fit both of those boxes pretty well um, in terms of his philosophy and his strategy and his coaching abilities. You know, we'll have to do further digging, but just uh, on a pure paper perspective, um, planning is following his plan, and that's another good good idea for another potentially good hire. We should note that the only hires right now that are official official are Dan Dillingham as the OC quarterbacks coach and then um, Matt Powledge, the co-defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach. Um, we have reported that uh, Tuilo, how do you say his name, Eric? I'm, I'm not going to be able to Tui-Odi. say it again. Tui Odie. Tui Odie. Uh, Eric has reported that that's done, um, but it has not been named yet by Oregon. They've not officially announced that. Does not mean though it's done or it's it's our reporting is false. We 100% believe it um, to be true. No, it's true. Um, we also are waiting on uh, Marshall Malchow and his announcement, the director of player personnel, um, chief of staff for Oregon, a recruiting guy, comes from Texas A&M. That one we know is true. Um, he's working, getting, to, you know, working on onboarding at Oregon, um, but he has not been announced. And then there's this one, um, the Tosh Lupoy. And I think everyone's kind of curious where this fits um, with Tosh, with the recent hire of the defensive line coach. Um, where does he fit? Uh, nothing has been announced yet by Oregon, um, but it's out there that. Oregon expects, or is, I guess the new word now is they are targeting or they're zeroing in um, on these types of coaches. But we've we've certainly heard it that Tosh is is likely coming to Oregon. Um, we have not reported it as we have with the D line hire, um, but we have certainly said it on our boards at DuckTerritory.com that we expect Tosh, you know, where things are going to be on this staff. Now the question is where. Um, does does he coach uh, along the defense? I think, guys, right? Like this is just us speculating now. We want to get that out there, but I think we all expect him to be the the primary DC under under Dan Lanning. But what position coach does he work with? Is another question. Probably the first question I saw on social and on the site when I announced the Tuioti news is: Does that mean Oregon isn't getting Tosh? And the answer is they'll have both. Um, and I would anticipate Tosh coaching outside linebackers, which is a position group he has 
some experience. And that's again, also not reporting. That's not like set in stone. That's just my expectation. That's kind of some rumblings that have been out there. And I would anticipate that's kind of where things are headed there. And, and we should note, like Clem, right? Like, I think you're going to see names attached from an NFL perspective. And you're going to have to wait until those names are fully announced because there's still three weeks left in the NFL. There's still time in this season. Two weeks, three weeks? I don't know. I might have my numbers wrong. Wow. Week 18, yeah. There's a bunch of, there's still time left in this regular season. So you're going to wait a little longer for these names to come official and for, for them to get on campus and be at Oregon full time. Could hurt a little bit, maybe an eensy bit from a recruiting perspective. And that's one of the things you have to think about just slightly about how kind of all this is playing out. Your head coach is in Athens, Georgia right now. I think you have maybe three, four guys on the ground in Eugene who are kind of in the future staff, but only two of them have been officially announced. Um, and then you've got a bunch of these you know, several guys that are, in, are kind of expected to be here. They've been named. We've confirmed one. And they've got some NFL guys. And those NFL guys, they have to finish their responsibilities at their respective jobs still. Um, and it, because of that, it's going to take a little longer for for that to become kind of fully, I think, known. So um, I would still anticipate Tosh is on staff. Bill's listening. I think that was a concern. And I, like Matt says, I think he's going to be listed as a co-DC or the full-time DC, however they want to represent that. Um, and then also coaching outside linebackers. That would be my little bit more than educated guess. Yeah, that would make the most amount of sense. And he's coached outside linebackers at Bama. Um, obviously more of a defensive line coach throughout his career. That's what he's been doing in the NFL. But yeah, this is just a wait and see game. Um, I think the, I think it's totally, it's, it'll be interesting to see how Lanning builds his staff in terms of how many position coaches he has, just the, the notion of having multiple wide receiver coaches inside, outside. Um, there's no reason why you couldn't do that with a linebacker coach or it's inside, outside linebackers um, and a defensive line coach and this and that. So I think regardless, um, Tosh is a type of coach where you make a spot for. And whether that's DC, co-DC, or a combination of like co-DC, outside linebacker coach, um, I think Oregon will will make that open for him and, and make, a, make a spot available no matter what. We should note that um, it's not – well, I do agree that uh, he's probably going to be the edge outside linebackers coach. We could see – him be the D line coach and Tuioti be an outside linebacker or just straight up linebackers coach. Cause he did coach outside linebackers at Cal in 2017. Um, he was just straight up the linebackers coach um, in 2012 and 2013 at Hawaii. Um, so he also has some experience and this is why I think this combination of the two, if it, if it plays out like we think it should, is interesting because it gives Oregon a lot of flexibility because landing coaches linebackers too. And you've now got three guys that have experience coaching edge D line or linebacker players specifically, which we, we kind of saw this with crystal ball along the offensive line uh, with Mirabal, crystal ball, a GA, and oftentimes even Bobby Williams, um, the special teams tight ends coach for Oregon. Um, under Cristobal, all coaching that position group um, at one time. It, it, it was like, hey, they have 25 guys at the position, O-linemen, and four coaches working with them, and they got a ton of attention. We could see that with Oregon staff under Dan Lanning, but now on the D-line 
slash edge slash linebacker position group. Yeah, one lingering thought for me has been where is Dan Lanning spending his time from an assistant coaching perspective and outside linebacker would make sense. Again, he doesn't by title have to carry an assistant coaching title, much like Mario Cristobal was not head coach, offensive line coach, um, yeah. but still obviously spent a lot of his time there. I'd anticipate Dan is is working in the front seven, sorry, front seven in some capacity, um, along with some of the coaches we're talking about now that, are, that we expect and in one case are confirmed will be also there. And tell me if I'm wrong here. I, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent on board with the theory that it's a, it's a negative aspect for Oregon um, to have to wait for these NFL hires to get made because like you said, Eric, there's three weeks left. There's this weekend, which is the, you know, the, the games that play on Christmas day and beyond uh, or Christmas Eve and beyond there's the new year weekend. And then the, the first full week of January and then the wild card starts um, January 18th. I guess if, if Pittsburgh um, or Jacksonville has been el- eliminated from the playoffs, that's where Tosh Lupoy is. Um, if Pittsburgh somehow makes the playoffs, maybe that makes things complicated for Oregon, but the NFL season is over regular season is over January 11 and the dead period in college football recruiting its last day is January 13th and January 14th is when coaches can go out on the road and start making visits again can host players for for recruiting visits if if these coaches aren't here that first weekend it's not that big of a deal because hey we've announced the hire he's coming he's he's processing we're not going to host you on that first weekend anyways. Come on the 22nd or come on the 29th. Yeah, no, good points, I think. And, and good job on the timeline of just establishing kind of what that would mean from a transition perspective. It actually kind of lines up pretty well. I mean, you'd love to see someone in position now working phones and whatnot, but you can get a lot done from the, what do you say, the 13th, 14th through the 2nd. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Um, we'll be back next week when we get you ready for the Alamo Bowl uh, and what all that entails. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Happy holidays. Peace.